This afternoon's sermon is about the raising of the widow's son in Luke chapter 7. And in connection with that, I'd like to read from 1 Kings chapter 17, where Elijah raises the son of a widow, and there are many parallels between this passage in the Old Testament and what Christ does in the New Testament. So please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 17, and we'll read verses 8 to 24. First Kings 17, beginning at verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him, that's Elijah, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house, and delivered him, <clears throat> delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are, are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. The text for this afternoon's sermon is Luke chapter 7, the verses 11 through 23. And let's turn and read there now. 
Luke 7. In Luke 7, Jesus, he first heals the servant of a centurion, a, a, a rich man in a big city who was seen in a positive light by the Jews. And now he comes to a small village called Nain. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And, as, and he said, Young man, I say to you, Arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men who had come to him, and when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases, and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, for most of us, we have all experienced being at a graveside before, whether it was to bury a relative or a friend. And we know that those are hard times, they're emotional times. And it's those times which challenge our faith, and they confront us with the question, do I truly believe in the resurrection? In the passage before us today, we are taught that Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of life and death. And he has the power to raise the dead and restore hope to the hopeless. Earlier in Luke, he has performed many miracles. He cleansed a leper. He gave a paralytic the ability to walk. He healed a withered hand and performed many other signs and wonders. And we're shown that Jesus' ministry had extended to every social class in Israel. He ministered among the lepers, the social outcasts, and also those who had a good reputation in the eyes of men. And he performed miracles among those who showed faith. 
But now in our text, we read that Jesus comes to a village called Nain. This is a, a tiny village that's only mentioned here in the New Testament. It's not an important town like Nazareth or a big city like Jerusalem. No, it's a small, out-of-the-way community that we would say is insignificant or the middle of nowhere. So what brings Jesus here? Why spend a day traveling from the city of Capernaum to this countryside town? Well, brothers and sisters, Jesus is on a mission. And that's why he goes on this journey. And we're told about our Lord's mission in Luke 4, verse 18. Jesus, he has come to proclaim good news to the poor. God has sent him to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so I bring to you the word of God under the following theme, Our Lord gives life to a grieving widow. And we'll see three things. First, we'll see a widow's grief. And second, our Lord's gift. And third, the crowd's reaction. Now, as Jesus nears the gates of the village, he comes across a funeral procession. And at the front of this procession stands or is walking a lonely widow. And we're told in verse 12 that the body on the stretcher is that of her only son. We don't know how long ago this woman lost her husband. We aren't told if it's years or days. But the important thing that we should keep in mind is that this is a time without the rigorous welfare programs that we have today. There's no retirement saving plans. There's no life insurance policies. And so the older members of a family, they were dependent on their children to care for them. But this woman, she no longer has immediate family members to call upon for help. And so it seems that she's helpless. It seems that she's doomed to become one of the poorest people in this village. She would be dependent solely on the charity of any surviving relatives or her neighbors. And then the timing of our Lord here is also perfect. In ancient Palestine, when someone passed away, the funeral would be held on the same day. The intense heat, the hot climate... It forced the, peop- the people to have their burial services that same day. The hot climate, it caused bodies to decompose quickly. And so, according to the normal customs, after this man's death, he would have been washed and anointed with oil, and then he would have been wrapped in, in cloth and placed on a stretcher, or what our text has is beer. And then his body would have been carried outside the city to the tombs. And yet before this procession can leave the village, Jesus, he sees the grieving widow, and he intervenes on her behalf. And several commentators point out how Luke focuses our attention on the woman. He writes that the man 
was the only son of his mother, his mother, that the crowd was with her, that Jesus had compassion on her and said to her that finally he gave him to her. And so you see, brothers and sisters, she is at the center of this miracle. She's the one who is going to receive a great blessing from our Lord. And by restoring her son to life, Jesus also restores her hope and status in the community. And so this widow, she stands as a powerful testimony of what the year of the Lord's favor is all about. Verse 13 states that the Lord had compassion on her and told her not to weep. And this is such an amazing verse. Christ sees her and he has compassion for her. In other words, his heart, it breaks for her. He sees and understands the situation she is in. He understands her fear and anxiety. She understands her heartbreak. But he's also able to change her situation. And that's why he can tell this widow not to weep. Those words would be callous coming from anyone else's lips. But when Jesus says this, he says it because he is about to turn the woman's sorrow into joy. He's about to bind up her broken heart. And the compassion that our Lord shows here, it's consistent with what God had shown in the Old Testament. There were laws that were given to Israel that were specifically for the poor in the community. Laws given that, for instance, the poor and the widows, they would be able to gather food from the edges of fields. And in the prophets, we frequently read that God rebukes the people when they fail to follow those commandments. God demanded that mercy was to be shown to widows and orphans. And when when that didn't happen, it angered God. God saw their grief. He saw how they were oppressed. And this can give us so much comfort too in the face of our own trials. With so much uncertainty in life, with so much uncertainty in this world right now, we know that Christ, He sees what's happening. He sees the grief and suffering that this world experiences. And He is fully human like us, except that He is sinless. He's perfect. And yet, while He was on earth, He still saw people lose their loved ones. And he knows what it's like for us to lose our loved ones. He knows what it's like to lose someone who you don't have a chance to say goodbye to. And we see this also in the way that he wept over the death of his friend Lazarus. And we see it now in the way that he was filled with compassion for this poor widow. And sometimes, sometimes we are prone to say that no one understands what I'm going through. And maybe no one here in this building, maybe no one watching online does understand. 
Maybe no one can fully grasp the abuse or loss that you've suffered. But the comfort that we have, brothers and sisters, is that the Lord of life in heaven does know. And he is our faithful high priest, able to sympathize with us when we are weak, when we are fearful of the future or standing at the graveside. And so as we confess in Lord's Day 1, he is the one to whom we belong in body and soul, in both life and death. And now we'll look at our Lord's gift of life. In verse 14, we're told that Christ touched the beer and the bearers stood still. And the beer is uh, it's a wooden coffin with an open top. There's no covering on it. And the body, it would have been placed on this as they brought it out towards the tomb. And then Jesus, he walks straight up and he touches it. And this, it would have been quite shocking to the Jews who were present. It would have shocked them to see that he touched this. Why? Because, brothers and sisters, in Leviticus 11, God had gone to great lengths to teach the Israelites that if you were to touch a dead body, you would become unclean. And if you were to touch a stretcher that is carrying a dead body, you would become unclean. And yet Jesus, he touches it. And to a certain degree, it was impossible for a Jew to go through life without becoming unclean. And it's true that uncleanness isn't the same as sinfulness. The Purity laws were given to Israel to set them apart from the nations around them, to mark them as holy, even as God is holy. And so what Jesus, if you were to read through Luke, what Jesus does in this instance, it's actually not all that uncommon when we look at the other miracles. We often read of him touching lepers or other unclean people. And it shows us that Jesus wasn't afraid to cross the boundary lines of purity and cleanliness. In fact, at times it seems that our Lord, the Holy One of God, He goes out of His way to touch what is unclean. And that's what He does in this case too. He didn't have to touch it, but He does. And He does to teach us that He is the one who cleanses what is unclean. His holiness cleansed the lepers. And here he is about to give life to this dead and unclean body. And that's what sets him apart from the men who are carrying that stretcher. And so by doing this, he teaches us and the people of the day that mercy is by far more important than any ceremonial law we might have. So having stopped the funeral procession, Jesus goes on to speak to the man, and he tells him to get up, arise. And the young man, he sits up, covered in these cloths. It must have been quite a sight, and then he begins to speak. And there are many parallels between this passage in Luke and what we read from the book of 1 Kings. Both stories, they both 
narratives, both historical events involve widows being met at the city gates. And both widows are grieving for the loss of their only son. And both sons cry out when they're revived. In both cases, we have almost the exact same phrase, he gave him back to his mother. And after the miracle, both of the men are acknowledged as sent by God. But what sets Jesus apart from Elijah is that he did not have to pray or call out to God to raise the boy. Because Jesus and the Father are one. And Jesus has been filled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is true God of true God. And so he simply commands this dead man to live and he comes back to life. Because Christ, he has power over death and life. Then in verse 15, we're told that Christ gave the man back to his mother. And if we're going to count gifts, this is actually the second gift in our text. First, Jesus gives life to the boy. And by the same action, Jesus had given new hope to the mother. The fact that Jesus gives this man back to the mother, it once again shows us that she is the central character here, not the son. And yet there's also something missing from this passage. In almost all the miracle accounts that Jesus performs, especially in Luke, there's mention of faith. But here, Jesus doesn't say anything like, go, your faith has made you well. No, this destitute widow She receives God's mercy and compassion simply because he's a merciful and compassionate God. And so this is a perfect example of Christ fulfilling his messianic mission to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, of rescuing those who are oppressed. The Lord acts out of pure grace because he knows the pain and suffering of this woman. Christ can act because he is the Lord. It's how Luke puts it. The Lord speaks here. And in Revelation 1, we are told that this Lord, he holds the keys of death and Hades. And this means that he is in control of life and death. He's the Lord of life. And so he's able to cheat death out of its victims. This miracle account, it's a foreshadowing of what will happen on the day of our Lord's return. On that day when each of us will be raised up, when we'll be reunited body and soul, and then we will be given to Christ Jesus our Lord. And brothers and sisters, At the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, there was a lot of uncertainty. There was a lot of questions over how severe the pandemic would turn out to be. And there still is uncertainty surrounding it. And this should challenge us to think about what is our comfort when we are faced with death. 
Death, after all, is the great equalizer. You can't take your toys or your riches with you when you die. You can't enjoy your riches in the grave. The only source of true and eternal comfort that anyone can have in this life is that they belong to Jesus Christ in both life and death. And so you too, we, all of us, can find comfort in Him by placing our faith in Him alone. And that brings us to our final point in which we see how the crowds reacted to Jesus' miracle. When we go back to verses 11 and 12, we see that there are actually two crowds in this passage. In verse 11, we're told that there is a great crowd with Jesus, a crowd that traveled with him around Galilee, that had been joined by many more as they traveled. The Lord's popularity, it's grown throughout his ministry, and that's shown by Luke speaking of a great crowd. And we can imagine that this crowd, it must have been filled with joy. They must have marveled at the miracles they had seen Jesus perform over the past days. And surely they recognized that Jesus was a great man, a man filled with the Spirit of God. And perhaps some even recognized that he was the Messiah, the promised one, the anointed of the Lord. But they haven't yet confessed that this Messiah is also the Son of God, that He's God Himself, the one who is able to free them from their sins. And then in verse 12, we're told of the second crowd. And this would have been basically the exact opposite. The entire village has come out to offer what comfort they can to a grieving widow. And for those of us who know small towns, it's easy to understand that in a small town, everyone would have heard of this boy's tra- or this man's tragic death. I think we see this in our own church communities as well. When a death occurs, we're very quick to surround one another with love and care and support. We're quick to grieve with those who grieve and Rejoice with those who rejoice. And in this village of Nain too, the people, they gathered to grieve with and comfort the widow. And yet there's no immediate hope for them. There's only grief and sadness. If they understood the Old Testament well, there may have been a faint knowledge of a future resurrection. But what good was that to them now? The widow was presently without hope, without family, without a future. But then Jesus comes. And Jesus, he gives new life to the man and he gives hope to the widow. And so it's no wonder that the people of this town were so amazed. And at the end of this event in verse 16 Luke portrays the two crowds as one and Luke gives only a brief summary of their reaction he says that fear seized them 
a righteous, godly fear. They recognized that God was at work through Jesus and that they did not recognize yet that Jesus was God, but perhaps they were on the right track. So this fear, it's not like the fear of men who they, they told Jesus to leave after he had freed the demoniac on the other side of Galilee. No, these men, they recognized that Jesus had performed a divine act and that Jesus was sent by the Father. And it's this righteous, this godly fear that leads the people to glorify God. They declare God's glory and soon news of the resurrection of this man spreads from the small, insignificant town throughout the whole region. News spreads among the people of Israel that a great prophet has again been raised up among God's people. But while they recognized that Jesus had been sent by God, the next account makes it clear that they did not yet recognize him as God. Following the resurrection of this man, John's disciples come to Jesus. John has heard about all that Jesus has done, and yet he's still doubting whether Jesus is truly the Christ. And so he sends these disciples to ask if they should wait for someone else. And this is John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. This is the man who stood along the banks of the Jordan River and cried out, Look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The man who pointed the crowds to Jesus. And now he's unsure about who Jesus is. Before Jesus had performed any miracles, John had faith that this was the Messiah. But now after he has heard of all of Jesus' miracles, he begins to doubt. And John is he's presently in prison. And he's probably realizing that his own death is approaching. And then he hears news that Jesus isn't raising an army like he had expected. They don't see many plans to establish a kingdom to free Israel from the Romans. Instead, Jesus is caring for widows and the sick. So perhaps John is now wondering, has this all been worth it? What's going on here? So how does our Lord respond to John's question? Well, in verse 22, we're told he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And so here Jesus reminds John and the Holy Spirit reminds us of what Christ's original mission was. And if you have been reading through Luke, perhaps you began to wonder what 
Christ was doing? Why is he working in northern Israel? Why is he working so far away from the political and power power centers of the world? But Christ is doing exactly what he came to do. And in doing so, he has revealed to us that he is fully human. And he's able to sympathize with us in all of our sorrows. But he's also God and he's able to turn our sorrows into joy. In Christ Jesus, we have an immediate hope when we are faced with death. Because we know that we will be immediately taken up to him, our head. John and the crowds, they failed to recognize that Jesus was greater than Elijah. They failed to recognize that he was the Messiah whom Elijah and Isaiah prophesied would come. While Elijah had to pray, Jesus merely spoke. And so this miracle proved that he had indeed been sent by God, but the manner in which he performed the miracle, it proved that he was indeed God and not simply another prophet. It showed that Jesus has power even over death. So the question each of us is faced with is who do I believe Jesus is? Do I believe that he came and fulfilled the Father's will perfectly? That, I, that Christ has power over life and death? And when this is our confession, then as we go through this life, this life that is often so full of death and suffering, we can tell those around us of what Christ has done. We can speak of the future hope of the resurrection. And we can also speak of how he has given us a new spiritual life even now. How he has given us the freedom from sin and enabled us to fight against those sins which still remain within us. We can speak of who he is to those who do not believe in him. We can speak of the glorious hope that we have when we stand grieving at the graveside. We can encourage one another with the hope of the resurrection, with the hope and the firm belief that this world is not how it should be, but is is heading towards what it should be. We can confess that we truly do believe in the resurrection because our Lord is a Lord of life. And so we can find rest in that comfort. We don't know what happened later on to this widow or the man. We aren't even told their names. Maybe they joined the crowds and followed Jesus, or maybe they stayed in, the, in their village. Either way, eventually they passed away. They were taken out of this life. And yet we do know what will happen to us and every believer Christ has conquered death, just as Isaiah predicted. Isaiah said that he will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The reproach of his people he will take from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. 
It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. In the meantime, brothers and sisters, we are waiting for the day of Christ's return. The day when the fullness of our salvation will be experienced by each of us. Yet our Lord, he continues to see the suffering which his people endure in this world. And he still has compassion on those whom he has bought with his blood. And he has promised that from the day of his return onwards, there will be no more tears of sadness. He will wipe them all away. And even now he gives us joy, worked in us through the Holy Spirit, so that we are united with Christ already. And so, beloved of Christ, have hope and continue to pray with the church of all ages. Come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha. Amen.